We are in this uh, series, brand new series, that I've started in Titus, Less, Lessons from a Pastor's How-To Manual is the title of the series. We're in the book of Titus. Titus is one of three books that we group together and call pastoral epistles because Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these books, these letters, we call them books, they're actually letters, to two young men. Uh, Timothy got two of them. He got a first letter and then he got a follow-up. Titus got um, the shortest of the bunch, three short chapters here, um, and he is uh, an interesting man. Two weeks ago, we looked at uh, the, the, the author, the human author. We said, meet the author, and it's Paul. Last week, meet the reader, and that was Titus. We talked about him, and, and Paul sent to Titus this instruction. He tells him in Titus chapter 1 and verse number 5, for this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. So he's left there for a reason. This is an island country. We said it's a large island in the Mediterranean Sea. Paul and Titus were apparently there together. Paul left um, and departed, but he, he left Titus on the island for this purpose, to set in order the things that are wanting. And a key factor in accomplishing that was to ordain order elders in, in every city. But here's the thing. I think I left this on your worksheet. This is important. Not everybody gets to be an elder. Not everyone can be an elder. There are qualifications that we'll get into um, mostly next week, starting tonight, but mostly, uh, well, not next week. We're going to have a global focus next week, maybe two weeks from tonight. Uh, but there are these qualifications that are given for the elder of a church. And these qualifications are not Paul's opinions. They're God's requirements. So we want to look tonight at this, about the, the, the leadership in a church and what God says about it. The, uh, the thing to remember is that God expects his leaders to meet different qualifications and different expectations. And I would say this to you, Faith Baptist Church, tonight, that you have a right to expect your pastors to meet those qualifications. You have a right to look into the scripture and see what God expects of a pastor, and you have the right to expect that from those men that, that lead you. Paul gives Titus this job, but he doesn't leave him clueless as to how to do it. Ordain elders, and here's who I want you to look for, Titus. God has always had high standards for those in leadership. And those standards have not changed. May I repeat that? You have it on your worksheet, so, but I'm going to repeat it anyway. God has always had high standards for those in leadership, and those standards have not changed. Pastors are to be blameless, and we're going to look at that word. It's used twice in a very short amount of writing space in this passage. First, it's, uh, first it is used in verse number uh, 6, and then it's used again in verse number 7, blameless. We're going to talk about that word in just a moment, but I, I'm just saying there are higher standards to be had for those who are going to be ministers in a church, pastors in a church. That's not setting someone up to be holier than everybody else. 
that's God saying to his men, I expect you to lead by example. So be blameless. <coughs> I get shocked, and I shouldn't, but I do. I get shocked when I hear of the conduct of, the conduct of some pastors and some men in ministry. And I'm like, I, I just don't understand how you justify that action. Uh, a pastor who goes out and, and, and starts drinking beer and alcohol with his church members. They go out to dinner and the pastor orders a beer right alongside of his church members. It's not blameless. There is a high standard for those who stand in the pulpit of a church. And there's a reason for it. There's to be an example set. So I came across this, uh, these candidate evaluations. This is a fictitious pastoral search committee. But it makes, it makes my point here on what is going on when it comes to churches and pastors being called to those churches. So this is a fictitious pastoral search committee that came up with these candidate evaluations and it makes a good introduction to our Bible study night. Ready? So here it goes. First one they looked at was Noah. 120 years of preaching experience, but he has no converts, so he's out. Moses. He's got a stuttering problem, and the last congregation he led said that sometimes he has a temper and hits things. David. Great music skills, but unacceptable moral character. Hosea, good preacher, but his marriage is in a shambles. Jeremiah, passionate, but he seems to be an emotional alarmist. Peter, we'd call him, but he has a bad temper and trouble controlling his tongue. Paul, the apostle, good preacher, but he preaches too long and he lacks tact. He's too, confront too confrontational. Timothy, great potential, but he's just a kid. Judas Iscariot, logical in using organizational money, cares for, the po cares for the poor, by far the best candidate of the bunch that we've interviewed. You know, I think that's, I, I think there's some truth to that in how people call pastors today. I think it's scary what some churches believe are qualified pastors. I looked, uh, I, I, I enjoy John MacArthur's commentaries and I was reading his commentary on this particular passage, his New Testament commentary on Titus. And I have to read this. It's a lengthy paragraph, but I want you to see, I want you to see my point as for this week. And, and let me tell you right now, my goal was to get through verse nine tonight. That's not gonna happen. Um, so I already broke this up. You, you have an incomplete worksheet tonight. But this is, a, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. You as a church are responsible to have a godly pastor. That's your responsibility. You have expectations that, that are right. Now, don't, don't impose expectations that God doesn't. But you have expectations that are right to be held. And Paul outlines them here. This is what Dr. MacArthur said about this idea of the role uh, of the, the, the minister. I call this the minister that God ordains. But this is what Dr. MacArthur said about the current state of the church today as far as this goes. God's standards for leadership in the church are high. 
a basic and extremely crucial truth that many evangelical churches today either deny or ignore. New Testament standards for pastors are often lowered, selectively applied, or simply disregarded. Some congregations and denominations pick and choose pastoral qualifications that seem most relevant and appropriate for the times, that satisfy personal preferences, and that do not conflict too sharply with contemporary social standards and practice. Some take the liberty to waive biblical standards when they like a pastor, and the application of those standards might result in his dismissal. And then here's the conclusion, the, the conclusionary statement on this paragraph. Nothing is more needed in the church than the careful application of the biblical principles of leadership. Yet sound, qualified spiritual leaders are alarmingly scarce in contemporary churches. God, God says this is what a, a pastor in a church should look like. Now, he's going to use different words for that. We're going to look at some of those tonight. But at the end of the day, God describes what ought to be the look of a pastor in a church. Whether it is a pastor, deacon, or any church leader, God's standards are not to be compromised, but rather held as non-negotiable guidelines for a church to embrace and uphold. Don't, don't compromise on these things. I, I don't have any plans of going anywhere, but this is the truth. I'm not going to be the pastor of this church forever. If Jesus Christ tarries his coming, eventually Faith Baptist Church is going to need another pastor. And so when that time comes... You ought to be looking for a man that matches up to what God says a pastor should look like. And while I am serving as your pastor, you ought to be able to see in me a man at least striving to meet these expectations that God has, Lord, that God has laid out. We don't get to call the shots. We don't get to call the shots on what a pastor ought to look like because we didn't create the church. The church is a divine institution um, that God created, that Jesus himself instituted with the disciples and then later empowered with his spirit. And so he defines what goes on here. So tonight I want to look at the minister that God ordains. And I have three, three good points to make this thing up, but we're only going to get through the first one tonight. And the first one is this, the role of a pastor. The role of a pastor Denominations and churches have different opinions as to the pastor's role. Uh, Methodists would differ from Baptists and Presbyterians would differ from Church of Christ. All different people. In fact, if we took a survey in this room right now, we would ha probably have various opinions of what the role of a pastor is in a church. Somehow we have come to these different conclusions. But how does the Bible describe the pastor's role in a church. We don't have to, do, we don't have to consult a denominational handbook uh, or anything like that because we have God's word on it. The, the role of the pastor ought to be defined by Jesus Christ since he's the one that started the church. He said he's going to build the church on himself. So what does the Bible say 
about the pastor's role. In verses 5, 6, and 7, we're going to read those verses tonight, and I'd like to take three, three titles of the pastor from these verses and allow those titles to give you an idea of the pastor's role in a church. We're going to look at three titles. Those are elder and bishop and steward. And we're going to see they all talk about the same, the same man, the same office. And there are, other terms in the, uh, there are other terms in the New Testament for this same office, but we're going to confine our focus to these three since this is our text. So let's look at verse number 4 and read what Paul says. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior, for this cause I left thee in Crete, that, in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So let's stop right there. That's our, that's our paragraph for the next uh, two times we're together. And I want to look at this. I want to look at the role of the pastor tonight through the three titles that we read in those, in those verses. Elder bishop, and steward. Let's start with that first one. In verse number five, he uses the word elder. I've left you there to ordain elders in every city. The elder, that title points to a pastor's maturity. The pastor's maturity. The word, you've heard the word before, presbyteros. It's an elder, and, and that word was used. It wasn't really just a religious word back then. It was actually a word that referred socially. It referred to old men in the community. But when it comes to the church and this particular letter, age is not the focus. The focus here is on the, the spiritual maturity of this man. It's, it's described in, a, in, a, in a, a parallel passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6, where Paul, giving, giving commu uh, communication to Timothy about the qualification of a pastor, Paul is describing what a pastor should look like. And he says in 1 Timothy 3, 6, not a novice, lest he be lifted up in pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. That word novice actually means, a new, it refers to something that's newly planted. A new beginner. It's talking about a new convert. It's talking about someone who hasn't been saved very long and has not grown yet. Here's the truth. And I wish it were different. There are times when I wish we had microwave Christianity, don't you? Where we could push a button and we would quickly grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But the fact is, it doesn't work like that. Our growth in Christ is a process that takes time and it takes cultivation of the word of God. It takes a submission to the Holy Spirit and this takes time. So he's saying here, he's not to be a babe in Christ. When he says ordained elders, he's not talking about these men being old. He's talking about them being spiritually mature. 
Timothy was an elder in the church. Here was a young man, young enough to where Paul said, don't let them give you any grief over your age. Don't let them despise your youth, Timothy. Yet he was wise in the word of God. So we're talking about spiritual maturity here, and it takes spiritual maturity to fill a pastor's role, especially when it comes to rightly dividing the word of truth. If it's not the greatest responsibility, it's right there at the top. The pastor needs to be able to discern the word of God and communicate it effectively. That was true of the prophets in the Old Testament, the disciples in the New Testament, and the pastors in the New Testament church. That is a primary responsibility of the pastor. He is to be able to rightly divide the word of God. So in considering the pastor as an elder, it's not so much about what he says, but what is seen in his life. Because another of his responsibilities is to lead people in the direction of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity in the church. And so it's not so much about what he says, but how does he lead? If he's not himself spiritually mature, how is he going to lead people to be spiritually mature? So Paul says, first of all, Timothy, I want you to ordain these men and they are to be elders. They are to be spiritually mature men. They are to be able to lead by example. Spiritual maturity, Christ-likeness ought to be seen in them. Do you remember what he told Timothy in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12? Timothy, who at that time was the Ephesus pastor. He was the elder at Ephesus, if you will. He said to Timothy, be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Be an example. When you look at the term elder in the New Testament church, the emphasis there is he's to be a spiritually mature man. I've known some men who were rather old and been saved for a long time, but were not very spiritually mature. The growth just wasn't there. They were Christians. They just haven't grown in the Lord. On the flip side of that, I've known some 20 and 30-year-olds who had a wonderful grasp on the word of God. I, Terry and I stopped and visited a church last year. Early last year, we were coming back, and we were traveling through someplace on Sunday night. And I said, you know, there's a church over in this city. I've always wanted to go to this church. I've heard a lot about it. I've heard a lot about their pastor, and I want to go in there. And come to find out, the pastor had retired, and his grandson was now pastoring this large church. And that young man had the Spirit of God all over him. His preaching was incredible. His passion for his church family was, was clearly evident. He's not an old man, but spiritually he had been growing in the Lord. And so the, the, the idea of an elder in the Scripture, it's not always talking about an old man. Now listen, if you're an old man and you've been saved for 30 or 40 or 50 years, there needs to be some evident spiritual maturity to you there ought to be a sobriety in you when your your conversation your lifestyle ought to reflect the grace of God spiritual growth is natural for a Christian Paul talks first about the the pastor's maturity and he says ordain spiritually mature men in every city where there's a church on the island of Crete ordain elders in every city 
The second title that he uses, same office, keep this in mind, it's the same office. Now he uses in verse number 7 the word bishop. The word bishop. This word is also translated, the Greek word is also translated elsewhere as overseer. Bishop. The elder and the bishop refer to the same office, and that's the pastor. Elders in verse 5, bishop in verse 7, they continue Paul's thought here. And you'll see this elsewhere in his writings, that elders and bishops and pastors refer to the same person. There's not a distinction made. And other New Testament books, they, they do the same thing. They make these words synonymous. They just are different aspects of the same office. If you come back to our, our, back in our offices and if you're making your way down the hallway that leads to my office in the back, they keep me in a little hole in the back. Um, and so you walk down that office, or you walk down that hallway rather, you'll pass by three pictures of a shepherd working his flock. Pastor Cross gave me those pictures and he told me I could keep them. They were in his office for years and uh, actually I asked him if I could have them. I'll just, I should put it like that. He told me I could. So we put them up in that hallway because every day when I walk down that hallway, it reminds me of the three aspects of a pastor. Same office, a shepherd is a shepherd is a shepherd. But in one picture, he's leading the flock. In another picture, he is caring for an individual sheep. And in a third picture, he's swinging his staff and he's beating off the wolves. In Paul's writings here, you have elder and bishop, and we're, in a moment we're going to get the steward, or you might read the word pastor, or overseer, or under shepherd. He's talking about the same guy, just different aspects of it. This word bishop means a superintendent or a watchman. The bishop is watching over, and in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, we're not going to turn there, but the word there is translated to our English word overseer. It's one who watches over others. He's to watch over the church. The pastor is to watch over the church, keep it doctrinally grounded, care for its members, and guard against false doctrine and false teachers. That's one of his responsibilities. It's one of my responsibilities is to be the bishop or the overseer at the church. There's a good illustration of this from the life of D.L. Moody, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones shares this story in his book, uh, Preaching and Preachers. And there's a story that on a, a particular, you know, Spurgeon pastored the uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle in uh, London, England, right, right downtown London. Big, huge church. Started out as the New, uh, New Park Street Chapel, and then it grew, and they did a name change, and large church, Metropolitan Tabernacle. Meeting at church one Sunday night, and this man walks in and finds Mr. Spurgeon, and he goes up to him, and he tells Mr. Spurgeon, the Lord told me that I need to come and preach here on Thursday night. The Lord told me to preach at the tabernacle on Thursday night. And Spurgeon looked the man in the eye and said, well, the Lord did not tell me that, and I'm the pastor of the church, so you'll not be preaching here Thursday night. And you know what? He didn't preach there that Thursday night. You know why? Because Spurgeon was an effective overseer of the church. It's his, it's his role to watch over that church and to protect. The pastor is el an elder, 
He's to be spiritually mature. He's the bishop. He's to oversee and watch out for. Would you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter number 13? There's a key verse there I'd like you to see. Hebrews chapter number 13. Remember, he's an overseer. The bishop is an overseer. He's a superintendent. He's, he's superintending. He's watching over the church as a whole. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 says this. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Note this second phrase. For they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. That they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that's unprofitable for you. Would you mark that word watch? You see that word watch almost in the middle of the verse. That, ver that word literally means to be sleepless. That's what that Greek word means. They watch for your souls. It means to be, to be abstaining from sleep. And the idea is this, that the pastor who serves his church, that church is always on his heart. It's always on his mind. He's always watching out for that church. He's the overseer. That's what he's to do. His work of overseeing that flock is a constant activity. He is the spiritual under-shepherd of a flock that God has entrusted to him. So the Bible says they watch for your souls. He's, he's watching. The role of bishop demands that, that the pastor be a watchman over souls that Hebrews 13, 17 says, souls for which one day he must give an account. Whenever I come to Hebrews 13, 17, it sobers me up as a pastor. That, that's an interesting, I don't know, I don't know all, and I'm just confessing here my ignorance to you, I don't know all that that entails. But there is a weight to that verse that says the pastor of a church is one day going to give an account for the souls of those over whom he pastored. That's an, that's an incredible verse. I don't know what that looks like at the judgment seat of Christ. So the pastor is an elder. He's to be spiritually mature. The pastor is also a bishop. This refers, did I already say this, that this refers to his responsibility? Did we say that? That he is a bishop and that refers to his, the pastor's responsibility. I might have missed a blank on your worksheet. My apologies if I did. He's an elder, his maturity, a bishop, his responsibility. And the last word that Paul uses in this text anyway is the word steward. And this refers to the pastor's authority in verse number 7. Look at verse number 7 in Titus chapter 1. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God. The steward of God. Elder, bishop, steward. Now you know because we've talked about this before because all of us are stewards before God. It means to be managers. What he's entrusted to you, what he's entrusted to me is really his. Um, we ought to be using what we have for his glory because it belongs to him. Now, TVA Credit Union and my name appear on the deed of the house that we live in. But actually, that's God's house. My name is on the deed of the van that my wife drives, but actually, that's God's van. He's just entrusted that to me. He's entrusted my children to me. 
What we have, we are stewards of, we're managers. Now Paul takes that idea of management and he applies it to the pastor in a church and he says in verse number seven, the pastor is the steward of God. Now that I said that refers to his authority and right away some of you started squirming. I think the concept of pastoral authority is one of the most misunderstood ideas in the function of a local church and not just by church members. I, there are two problems that arise on this idea of pastoral authority. Probably the biggest problem has to do with the pastors themselves who abuse the delegated authority they have from God. They're abusers of the authority. And then there are those churches that are unwilling to acknowledge and accept biblical pastoral authority. So when we talk about pastoral authority and problems involved with it, it comes from two different directions. Pastors who abuse that authority and churches who reject it. Again, Dr. MacArthur on this text says this, many mistake, mistakenly, many church leaders view their role as that of a promoter, a businessman, an executive, a psychologist, an entertainer, or president. But those roles contrast sharply with those specified in the New Testament. I, I don't agree with a whole lot that John Piper writes. Um, he just, I just don't agree with a lot. But he wrote one book entitled, it was Two Pastors. It's called Brethren, We Are Not Professionals. And he makes the argument in there that you are a man of God as a pastor. You're not a Wall Street executive. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I think Dr. MacArthur's right here. That oftentimes we as pastors, we, we misconstrue what we are to be. We are stewards. We are not owners. I do my best and I'm not criticizing others. I just know who Mark Campbell needs to be. But if you ever hear me refer to Faith Baptist Church as my church, I, will, I am saying that in the same way that you would say Faith Baptist Church is my church. I am saying that as a church member, not as a church pastor. One thing I don't refer to, and you, the men who have served as deacons here, You'll never hear me refer to my deacons. I just don't. Again, I'm not criticizing those that do. I just don't like that title. They're not my deacons. You elected them. <laughs> you elected good ones, by the way, but that's the truth. They don't belong to the pastor. Those deacons were selected by the church. They're the church's deacons. So when I refer, when I refer to collectively to, to our six deacons, I call them our church's deacons or our deacons. I just don't think, and I'm, I'm, not being, I'm not being a nitpicker here, I'm just saying I don't think I've ever called them my deacons because I don't, I, you know, I, I don't own them. They're not mine. This is God's church. How many times in the scripture does the Bible say that Jesus Christ is the head of the church? The church belongs to Jesus Christ. He is the head. The pastor is not the head of the church. The pastor is a steward of the church. The pastor is, he's not the shepherd of a church. He's the under shepherd. Jesus, three different times in the New Testament, calls himself the shepherd. 
One time he says, I'm the good shepherd. Then he says, I'm the great shepherd. And finally, he says, I'm the chief shepherd. That might be just to remind pastors, you're not the top dog. That's good for pastors to remember that. You ought to pray for your pastor that he keeps the right perspective on leadership in a church. God's given me the church to lead, but only as I follow Christ. So we're talking about this idea of stewardship and this idea of a pastor's authority. So if that's true, if pastors abuse it or churches reject it, where do we find the, the medium in the middle, what God has to say about it? How does that, how does that work? Let me say at the beginning... No church moves forward in fulfilling its God-given purpose without understanding the biblical role of authority by which a pastor serves. No pastor is able to effectively lead a church unless he properly exercises his authority without abusing it. So there's responsibilities in the pulpit and pew when it comes to the idea of pastoral authority. So we've looked at three different pictures here tonight. As the elder, the pastor is the model for the people of God. He's to be an example. He's to demonstrate spiritual maturity. He's the model. As a bishop, the pastor is the minister of God. And as the steward, the pastor is the manager of the house of God. Again, unquestionably, Christ is the head of the church. He's the ultimate and final authority in a church. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, Ephesians 5, 23, Colossians 1, 18, our theme verse at our church. He's the head of the church. He decides what a church does. He determines how the church functions. And as the head, Christ has designated the pastor to be the church's steward. He's called in verse number 7, the steward of God. What do we know about stewards? They don't own it. They manage it. Abraham had a steward. His name was Gehazi. Gehazi was given the responsibility to go find Isaac a wife. That's, pretty, that's a pretty big trust right there. He's a manager. Now, he didn't own Isaac, but he was entrusted with that responsibility. That what it, that's what it means to be a steward. There are churches where deacons or committees manage the church's finances or policies without the oversight of the pastor. The attitude in that church is, pastor, you preach, we'll take care of everything else. That thinking overlooks the fact that God's plan is that the pastor be the steward. That does not mean that people in the church can't exercise their gifts and have and and have oversight and have input that's not what that means at all but the pastor is the manager if you walk into well i started to say a restaurant here in town but i would say don't go there because i think the management stinks because they're just not doing what they ought to do there but you should be able to walk into a good restaurant and you'll know if it's managed well won't you if a, if a restaurant is managed well where, Terry and I were just in one the other night. Where were we? We went in a good restaurant the other night. And you can just tell when they're managed well. You know how they're managed well? You know how you can tell? The manager's not doing a whole lot. But he is walking around making sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. You go in there and, boy, the hostess will sit you where you're supposed to sit and the server will be at your table and somebody else will come by. And if it's managed well, 
the manager is just, he's overseeing a lot of moving parts. He's not doing it all himself. He's not calling every shot. He might have some good assistant managers that work with him. There might be below them some shift managers working as well. So everybody's got their parts and they're contributing, but there ought to be someone who's the manager. Is he the owner? Nope, he's the manager. You could call that manager the steward. He's not the owner of that restaurant. He's the manager. That's what the pastor is to a church. Hebrews 13, we were just there a minute ago. In verse number 7, it says, Remember them which have the rule over you. In verse number 17, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you. Do you know what that word rule means? We have, a, we have an idea here in the English language, in the 21st century English language, we have an idea what that word rule means. The Greek word for that particular English word means to lead or guide with authority. To lead or guide. When I think of a ruler, don't you, I, I, maybe I'm just mis, maybe I'm misinformed. When I think of a ruler, don't you think somebody up on the throne with a scepter? I think like Ahasuerus back in the book of Esther. I think a king Ahasuerus, when Esther walks into his thing, and if, if he doesn't hold out that scepter, she's getting her head chopped off. Remember that? And she walks into his throne room, and he loves her, so he holds out that scepter. That, when I hear the word ruler, that's what I think of. That's not what's being described here. When it says, remember those that have the rule over you, obey them that have the rule over you, it's not the authority being emphasized. It's their leadership that's being emphasized. They're guides. They're leaders. You ever gone on a hike in a place that you've never been before with, in a group and had a guide on that hike? Those are always good to have. Roads don't look the same. Trails don't look the same once you get so back in the hills. It's good to have a guide. This, this is the steward of the church. Pastors are to be led by God. The church is to follow their, their leadership as they follow Christ. This does not allow the pastor, pastoral authority, and this is where we get into trouble, and I'm speaking as, pa as a group now for pastors. This is where we get into trouble. This does not allow the pastor to function as a dictator, but I know those who have. I've been in churches where they have. I've visited in a church and not been in that church service 15, and you have too, I bet. I've been in that and not been in there 15 minutes, and I thought to myself, Nobody better step out of line in this church. He's going to crack them over the head. I've been in those churches. And I'm thinking to myself, man, that is just not right. Pastoral authority doesn't mean that the pastor is a, dic a dictator. It doesn't mean that churches, uh, church members have no voice. It means that the pastor is the one God has ordained to lead and manage the church. He's the steward of God. Did you see that phrase? He's the steward of God. He's under God's authority in this. He's not the one calling the shots. He is simply to lead the church as, as, as God leads him. It's God's leadership. So here's your, here's your sentence on this. The exercise of pastoral authority is not a pastor imposing his will on the congregation but leading the body to accomplish God's will for the church. If a pastor is rightly exercising authority in a church, God's will is going to be accomplished. If he's abusing 
that position. He will run that thing into the ground if it's a real church. He will. A wise pastor takes advantage of those in the church that have stronger skills or experience in various areas that he may not have, but he remains as the manager that leads that church. You're wise to employ people. I'm wise to employment. I am so thankful for the deacons and the officers that we have in this church. They have different perspectives on things. We, we, we had a deacons meeting the other night uh, in my office before church started. We were talking about the possibility that we, we have to open our facility up to a group that would like to use it. And one of the, one of the things that uh, a deacon brought up in there, I hadn't thought of. And it's just nice to have different perspectives. We've worked uh, for the last uh, four or five weeks now, we've been putting together a, a budget to present to the church. And it's so much better if there are 16 different sets of eyes looking at that budget rather than just one set of eyes. Different perspectives and different suggestions. But at the end of the day, the pastor's to manage that. He's the steward of God, not the owner of the church. He's the steward. He's the manager. I'm thankful for a church that understands the biblical role of the pastor. I'm thankful for a church family who have so many that are willing to use their gifts and their abilities for the glory of God. That's what we are to be about. The church is a body with all different parts. The pastor ought to recognize that God doesn't the Bible say this? God sets the members in order according to his will, according to his plan. The pastor is to recognize that and cooperate with what God is doing in a church. The role of the pastor then is described in these three titles. First of all, he is an elder who is to be an example to the people. He's a bishop who cares for them like a shepherd and oversees them like a flock. He is a steward that is always leading them according to the will of the head of the church, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the biblical role of a pastor. You go to the Bible to find out what he's to be doing, what he's to be about, how he's to function. You don't go to a denominational handbook. You don't go to the church history books. You go to the word of God and find out what the one who started the church said a pastor ought to be about. That's the role. Next week, or, or two weeks, Lord willing, we'll get this in two. Uh, next week, we'll look at both the requirements of the pastor, and that has, to do, uh, that has to do with what God says, this is what you're to look for in them. And then the resoluteness of the pastor. We're going to look at those two things in a couple of weeks. And I, church, I, I, I want to remind you again, you have the right to expect from a pastor what God expects from a pastor. When a church gets ready to ordain a man, you ought to ordain men that God ordains. And the Bible tells us who God, who God would ordain. He describes that pastor. So this week, the role. Next week, let's wrap it up. Or two weeks. I keep saying next week. Bad habit. Two weeks, Lord willing, from tonight, let's finish, this, let's finish up the first nine verses of the of the, of the first chapter of Titus here. Let's look at this and see what God says about a pastor is to be. And let, let me say this. As we make our way through these requirements, I want you to notice this is good for all of us as church members, just not for pastors. Now, it's required of pastors. 
but it's if you look at these requirements, um, they're they're pretty good, pretty good character traits that ought to be seen in every one of God's children. So it's not. So what, here's what I'm not doing. I'm not giving you ammunition to come after me. Now I want you to pray for your pastor. Pray that your pastor will strive to be the man of God he's he's supposed to be. Pray that I'd be wise in leading our church as God would have it led. Pray that I would be humble in recognizing the leadership of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in me. Pray that I would be compassionate and not hard-hearted toward those in need. Pray for your pastor. But also, as we make our way through these, these requirements that are coming up, there's going to be five negatives and I think six positives all building toward this idea of blameless. He, he starts there in verse number seven. He says, for if a man is blameless, and then he gives five negatives and six positives of how the pastor is to remain blameless. Wouldn't you say that all of God's people should have a blameless testimony? So all these things are applicable to all of us, but they're expected. They're expected of the pastor. And so that's going to be our study next week or two weeks. We'll, uh, we'll try to wrap that up, all right? Next week, come expecting the global focus. And before next Wednesday, be in prayer for it, would you? Pray for those families that are coming in. We're going to have a good time uh, together in the, next, in the next few weeks. Let's stand and pray. We'll be dismissed. Thanks for your attention tonight. Pray one for another. Let's do that. Remember these prayer requests we mentioned this evening. Father, it's good to be in your house. Thank you for the instruction of your word. Help us not to just know it. Help us not to be just hearers only. Help us to do it. Help us to obey. We do not want to be educated beyond our obedience. Lord, what we know, we want to do. And so help me as, as the steward here, Lord, to remember uh, your work and my responsibilities in it. And I pray for our church family that you would continue to bless the unity here. As you add people to this church, Lord, we pray that uh, we would grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and that knowledge would translate into a greater impact in this community. Bless these families tonight. We pray for safe conduct home and then that you would bring us back this weekend. We're looking forward to being together in fellowship and in worship on Sunday. We pray in your name. Amen. God bless you, church.